Hey, Paul, how are you today? Great, thanks, Chris. And how are you? I'm very excited. Um, one of our first episodes of The Common Creative, and we're talking about creative energy. What does that mean to you? Creative energy for me is um, it's a curious thing. <laughs> I suppose hard to define in, in some ways. But the thing that pops up in my mind is that it's like, in a way, a rechargeable battery. If you have a rechargeable battery and you leave it depleted, over time it loses its ability to hold a charge. So basically what we're looking at here is saying that, you know, you need to stay charged to be able to put put energy out. And if you don't do it for some, you know, some sort of creative um, thing for a period of time, then your ability to do that will be diminished it was a lot harder to start. That, that's my first thought. Chris. And it's interesting because both you and I have this creative habit of, in your instance, take, uh, painting a painting every day. In my instance, taking a photograph of a specific beach each day. So we, in a way, we're topping up our batteries every day. And I, I suppose it means, um, in my mind, I'm thinking ahead, you know, what is that photograph I'm going to take? How am I going to capture something? And you said you have a process the night before of, being ready to kind of charge that creative battery. Yeah, that's right. I, I think um, in, in, a, in my ideal world, in my ideal process, I I look ahead. You know, I think of a, a week topic for a week. Uh, I think of the object uh, the night before, or even a few days before, and I think about it. And when I think about an object to paint it, it makes it so much easier to paint. But also, of course, I'm thinking about what to write about it at the same time. And once I start doing that, I then during the day after I've done the, the early morning painting, it, I, then over the day I can I can start thinking about um, you know what what to write and I and I put the words down as I go during the day, and that that for me is the easiest way. It's a little bit like skipping though, you know. Once you miss a step, <laughs> and you get the rope tangled around your feet, uh, it takes a little while to get back into the rhythm. And so just the last few days, for various reasons, I've missed. Uh, the, the first up, um, and so I've uh, I've had to be doing it during the day, and it's thrown my rhythm out. But yeah, so what what about you, Chris? Because you, you do one every day, or so sometimes. Yeah, because I'm thinking we're, we're both a bit nuts, aren't we? Uh, that you know, you, you're planning a painting of a household object, and I think the last one I saw was a, a plug, an electrical plug, and I'm I'm taking a picture of the same beach every day. Now, normal people might paint maybe when they go on a course with a, with a on a on a getaway or something normal people take photographs of their family on on holiday or something so, so why why do you have an energy to to paint pictures of household objects <laughs> why is it nuts oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, the nice segue you didn't say why you're so nuts i will i'll t- i'll try and answer that too <laughs> Look, I, it, look, it is curious, and I, I think uh, you know it's like funny how these things started. I, I literally did the first one day one sitting on the beach at Noosa. I posted it to a friend of mine, and she came back and said, "Oh, this is great. Let's do one a day for the whole year." Uh, and I said, "Oh, fantastic! That's a great idea." Anyway, she dropped out on day two, but once I commit to something, you know, I keep going. And I don't know if I've publicly said on Instagram I'm going to do it for a year forever. But it is coming up to six months now, uh, and because I do more than one a day, I've got about two hundred watercolors sitting on my desk, which is amazing, you know, at work. But look, it is 
funny, and there is this thing about, you know, unplugging and, you know, we all do need to recharge, but I'm scared now not to do one a day. Uh, but some days I wish I, you know, didn't have to. You know, like I, not that I wish I didn't have to, but sometimes it, it's sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it's really hard uh, to get started, especially if I, I don't knock it off first thing in the morning. It's, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I've been taking photographs on my beach, I think it's five or six years now, and... Uh, people started to know that I'm that dude with the camera, that nutter who goes out and tries to take a photograph every day. And I do feel that slight sense of pressure. You know, <clears throat> I wonder if people are thinking, you know, what, what's Chris going to shoot today? And it's terrible. It's very bad for your creative energy. It's kind of, it's like dipping your battery in a, in a bath of cold water. It's not going to, it's not going to help. Um, so I think it's important to, to keep creative energy by not putting yourself under pressure, too much pressure, you know, I've got to do a great shot because people are expecting it is a terrible way to drive yourself. I mean, what, what instantly, what initially drove me to do it is just the, the beauty of the local beach. I'm lucky I live near a beautiful beach, but I've, over time, it's, it's changed. It's meaning for me. I find myself um, partly stretching myself creatively the act of doing it every day forces you to look for new kinds of creativity. Um, and it's a funny, it's, it's a bit like a bit of a diary. The, the image is a little record of that moment, how I'm feeling. Um, and so I use it rather than posting, you know, that picture of a cappuccino in a cafe or that crazy party I was at. It's a, it's a little bit of a record of, of what I'm doing each day. Um, so that's my, my itch originally to catch, originally to catch beauty, to capture beauty, but, but now it's, become a bit more personal i suppose mm, yes well i think i started and you know years ago before i had kids and you know sort of 10 years ago i i was a very prolific painter i painted large oils uh, it was very physical for me i didn't need any other exercise i would literally wear down brushes you know in two or three days and uh, take them back to the art shop and go these brushes are crap you know and they're going, look, they are the cheaper versions, but, oh, my God, you know, they bought these last week. Oh, there's something wrong with them, you know. So they give me better brushes and then, you know, the same thing would happen. I just realised I was a very vigorous painter. Um, uh, so it's very hard, uh, you know, not, not hard, you know, as a, as a full-time artist, then, you know, it wouldn't be a problem because I'm not a full-time artist or haven't been, um, you know, it's about making something more accessible. So the watercolour is a lot softer, you know, it sort of it flows. It's a lot. It's less, less less messy. I don't have to have a bath and you know scrub myself with Solvo soap uh, every time I, I finish and you know ruin yet another set of clothes because invariably I'd start painting before I got changed into my painting clothes and uh, and there'd be go another good dress shirt <laughs> into the painting pile. I'm, I'm laughing, Paul, because I I have boxes of dead cameras because I'm shooting usually near on under water or near sand. And uh, I have boxes of cameras. And I, I, there's a little part of me that enjoys it when a camera goes by the wayside because um, uh, I th- it's kind of proof that I'm pushing myself and I'm putting a lot into, um, uh, into the images that I'm creating. So I, uh, obviously I don't like the cost of having to replace cameras a lot, but I, I get through them a bit like the paintbrushes you said you were getting through. Well, well, that's a that's a vigorous uh, vigorous photographer, but but actually it, it's interesting, and I'm not quite sure why I went there. But 
in terms of energy, you know, that was a very energetic process, you know, and I and I think of people like uh, Jackson Pollock, you know, and stuff who was, you know, incredibly energetic and, and also even, um, you know, Australian pro-heart who, you know, also didn't particularly love his art. He did this great ad, you know, for the carpet mob where he threw spaghetti and he did, did his sort of famous dragonfly and incredibly energetic. And so... I think in, to think about creative energy in that way is very easy because it's so visceral. You know, it's it's just it's doing a creative thing and it's and it's and it's energetic. Um, but I think that in some ways that is sort of too easy. You know, so you know the same thing applies to pottery. I don't know if you've ever done any yeah, a uh, pottery, but you know, throwing pots and and you know and, and kneading you know and and um, the clay beforehand is really physical you know uh and if you're throwing big pots um you know on a wheel you know you really need a you know some strength and and control so uh, paul i'm not sure i'm not sure i'd agree with that you know i think when you for me when you say the word creativity it it feels like a passive thing it's something you do at rest you might be sitting on a chair painting or if you're taking a photograph you're just standing still and i it's i hadn't really thought about the fact that Creativity can be, and sometimes is very physical. And I mean, I, I will happily take photographs as waves are about to crash over me. And, and I know the moment I press that shutter, I'm going to get hammered by a wave. Um, so I, I know why you're going through so many cameras. Well, Chris. that could be part of it. And then, and they're not always underwater cameras. If the if the waves are that good, and I don't have the right camera, I'll still risk it. Uh, so that could could well be part of it. Um, so. I, I mean, I think we should talk about the kind of, like you said, the more subtle form of creative energy. Where does energy come from? But I, I do think that people assume that creativity is a passive thing, that we sit around a table to come up with ideas or that we stand and take a photograph. And the painters typically will stand at an easel and, you know, they'll stay still for three or four hours. Um, why wouldn't it be active? Why wouldn't it have your, your heart beating and so on? That's a really good point. Well, look, I, I, yeah, my, my thinking is, you know, it, it doesn't preclude that, but I just think as a, as an example, something that's physical. You know, even but even you know, even if you're right for a couple of hours, you know, it's exhausting using your mind. You know, and there, and there needs to be an energy. I just suppose for me, in comparing you know my watercolors to my oil color, well, it's very easy to see you know why I need creative energy because you know if I don't have the energy then I'm just going to get through that painting, you know, I'll, I'll be exhausted. And the way I work, because I work in wet on wet, I've got to finish it in one sitting because I'm not very good at going back. So, so, but it does, you know, I open the question that, you know, looking at me doing a watercolour, as you say, you know, it looks like I'm, I could be reading the Sunday paper. It's, it, it doesn't look particularly demanding. Yet for the, you know, the common creator that does it every day, it is demanding. You know, and it's and it's that demanding in the thought of you know what's going to be next, and always like you, you know, pushing myself to find uh, an object that has some sort of relevance, and I can you know, add some pithy or witty saying to it. So yeah, I think it's. Um, but yeah, where does that creative energy come from? For me, what what I've noticed, you know, recently, recently I've you know, been getting fitter and I've started running. And it appears that the more, uh, the fitter I get, the more creative energy I seem to have. 
I, I think that, you know, the less alcohol, you know, the less caffeine I have, you know, the, the better my lifestyle, the more I'm able to produce. And I think the other thing is I'm not particularly a routine person, but routine has a big part of it. Uh, and I know you have that routine. Yeah, and I would definitely agree that I'm not a routine person. Any form of structure, be it filling in a form, doing things once a day, whatever, in principle for me is a complete turnoff. It's a set of handcuffs. And yet I do have this habit every morning. I get up, go to the beach, take a photograph of that same beach every single day. Uh, luckily, I don't think of it as a routine. I, I suspect what we're both saying is that it's not a creative act once a day. It's a creative process 24 hours a day that we're both thinking about it in advance. I mean, I'll, I'll typically check the weather forecast before I go to bed just to get a sense about what the light will be like when I get up. Um, my camera's all ready to roll. And I'm throughout the day, uh, my, your eyes are a little bit more open thinking about what, what you want to say, what that photograph's going to be. Um, and how are you going to find something original and new? So maybe maybe we're not so much habitual creatives as, uh, what would you say, full-time creatives, 24-7 creatives. Yeah, look, I, I, think, it, I think it is. And I think it's, it comes back to this creative mindset. You know, it is not like once you become a mother or a father, you're always a mother or a father. You know, you, you know, you, it's, you know even if you go away, Especially if your kids are young, you know you don't you, you, your kids don't go out of your out of your um, uh, out of your mind. For me, but it is about this creative creative mindset, and in you know it, to me, it's sort of it's like a bit of like a compass. You know, this is you know it's north, south, east, west, and sea. You know, being creativity. You know, this is the direction I'm going, and it makes it it's, it. It makes it easier in a way, but it's never really easier because the challenge keeps going up. It's a bit like uh, Chip Chimetsky um, flow, you know, about the challenge and the and the skill level keeps on increasing. Um, I think you're right. I mean, the more you're right, the more you do it, the more you're stretching yourself because there's always this thought. I think a lot of people ask me about is kind of what happens if you run out of ideas? What about that day? It's never happened yet. And I think the reason that hasn't been an issue is all the time you're analysing and learning about your own creativity. You're, you're looking at your work and going, oh, that gives me a new thought. I wonder if that will take me somewhere. So you, you're pushing every day. You're looking back and going, oh, so I could do something different next time. If you switch off, if you, if you do a work of art and go, that's me done, and there's no reflection, there's no learning, then – yeah, the next one might be the same. Then you go, oh, I've done that shot. What, how, what else can I do? But if you're always thinking, I could have done that this time, what about – so it's it's churning away and, and therefore what you deliver evolves and changes and so you don't run out. Yeah, yeah, look, I, I think that's right. But I, I'm, I'm also trying to think about, you know, the creative energy, you know, this thing almost back to the original idea of the battery, it seems to – uh, it's a little bit like uh, the hybrid cars where, you know, the braking, you know, takes some of the energy and puts it back into the battery. The process is is both energising and depleting, you know. So after, you know, whether it's, especially, you know, when I go back to the oil painting, after it I'm exhausted but I'm so energised, you know. So and it, and it creates that, that sense of flow. And, and when I did paint a lot, especially if I was painting for a big show, you know, I, I'd paint to three or four in the morning and I'm not, a night person, you know, and now, you know, race my kids to bed, 
you know, uh, I, you know, I'm happy to be in bed before them. And I don't know if I have that amount of energy anymore. But but it's an interesting thing because but it gets to a point though where you know you do have to rest um, because because I think you know it's maybe it's a bit like friction you know on a, on a gear or something. Eventually it'll wear it down. You know wears you down. But it, but it's also giving you energy. I suppose it's, it becomes an addiction or maybe an obsession. I'm not quite really sure. There is. I mean, I uh, every now and then I mean I, I'll take my photographs and combine them with other images, usually of, of beautiful models to create uh, artworks that I put in galleries. And I, a shoot that I would do with a model typically is half a day. And in my mind, that's, that's because it feels like a five minute shoot. It's incredible how fast time flows. And I completely agree with you at the end of one of those shoots, I can barely walk <laughs> because I've I've kind of had a massive workout in that I've I've been braced on my haunches the whole time, moving my body, moving some of those physical bits of gear. So you've got lights and you've got backdrops and whatever else you might have around. Um, but you're on your toes mentally and physically the entire period of the shoot. And yeah, it, it goes for five minutes, and at the end you're exhausted. And straight away thinking about what you'll do next time, and so you're you're energized in that sense of thinking about the next thing. So completely identify with that. I love it. It's a lovely feeling to be lost in that creative space. But I think the word people talk about is flow. I've never tried actively to get myself into flow, but it clearly is there when you're you're lost and creating and just enjoying yourself. It's, it's a fabulous feeling. And actually, uh, I think just uh, what also comes to mind is this thing about, you know, we're talking, you know, like day to day, but there's also the whole thing of a of a lifetime of creativity where, where you know, eventually, you know, like if if someone is a bricklayer and I've got a friend who's a bricklayer, block concreter, you know, eventually he can't do it anymore, you know, because his body just literally breaks down. And and for for artists, you know, the same thing happens and, you know, there's you know, a great story of uh, Matisse in his final years. He, he couldn't uh, hold a paintbrush, but he just cut out coloured paper and did um, collages. And I also remember seeing the final exhibition of Lloyd Rees, who is a famous Australian artist. Um, he, was, I think he was a war artist. He came from Queensland, but I think he spent a lot of time in, in Sydney and he was a you know a most amazing draftsman. His hand was incredible. You know these beautiful pencil drawings and detailed watercolors and paintings. But in the end, he he was doing these paintings that looked a lot. They were they were landscapes uh, of setting suns and things, and they looked a lot like um, uh, Rothko. You know, just basically layers of blended color. You know, because he he um, you know obviously lost some fine motor skills. And I think Lloyd Reese lived to close to 100, uh, yet he was still producing. And I, and I think in a way, you know, that's a, that's a payback of all the energy that he's put in over the years. You know, it's like there's like an energy bank maybe. Um, and, and um, yeah. It's interesting because I, I think if, if you, you know, as time goes on, if you lose certain skills, I don't, think probably creativity is one of the last bits of energy you would ever lose because even if you're physically changing one of the features of creatives is that they're forever 
incorporating new things into what they do. So you get a new camera, you try this, you get a new setting, you try that. Um, I mean, physical setting, or if, if you, you know, you're finding new objects to work with. And so if, if you physically change, creative people think, find a way to build it into what they're doing. Um, and in a way, celebrating it, that this is me. Uh, this is the way I'm working at the moment. I'm dealing with my physical constraints and, and the stuff around me. And here's what I'm delivering to the world. So, uh, I don't see it declining. It definitely evolves and it changes. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I look, yeah, I agree. And I don't, I don't think it does decline, but is that how they deal with physicality? Whereas other people, you know, have to stop or they choose to stop, you know, I'm going to retire and play golf now. Where, where the artist never really retires. Actually, I was going to talk about a very different side of creative energy because uh, I think I think it's about the environment that you're in affects creative energy a lot, the physical environment. So it could be the time of day. It could be the temperature. It could be the noise or sounds that you're surrounded by or the colours that you're seeing. And they feel like very soft things that aren't given much recognition but I think to be creative, you've got to be in the right kind of mind space. Um, I, I, I remember one morning I was trying to shoot sunrise down on, on the beach and there was another person and she, I think she knew who I was and she set herself up about 30, 40 meters from where I was sort of far enough away. She thought she had a distance, but I, I was acutely aware of her presence. So I moved and then she moved staying about 30 or 40 meters away. And I suddenly I thought, I, I can't do anything now. There's a person kind of watching me, not stalking me. I've never spoken to her since then. She's a lovely lady, but that threw me. My creative energy vanished at that moment. And it's the most fragile thing. So I think you've got to have that sort of inner desire. Something inside you wants to express something, but then you have to surround yourself with some of those uh, quite practical things. You know, what time of day is best for you to be creative? What are you warm? Are you um, are you with the right people? Or are you alone? I mean, I like to be alone. I, I hate photographing with assistants, and I don't like lights and buttons and technology to. I like it to be a kind of empty space, I suppose. So that's my second point on creativity. It's got to come from within, but you also need the environment to be working with you. Yeah, well, actually, I think you're right. So really what you're saying there, in some way you're, you're linking the energy to the confidence and, you know, you might have all the energy in the world about it but then all of a sudden you're embarrassed or you feel, you know, somehow you know, yeah, out of sorts because of an external factor and all of a sudden, you know, your energy's disappeared. Yeah, it's fragile. It's fragile. Yeah, yeah, it's fragile. Um, I, I was um, What I was thinking about when I was thinking about, you know, this long-term energy, uh, there was this famous Australian architect, Kerry Hill, who was from Perth, but he spent his whole career in Singapore. And a few years ago, he won the gold medal. And um, I was having dinner with him at the Institute and um, he, I, I just was trying to make conversation and I said to him, oh, Kerry, where are you going to retire? Are you going to retire to uh, Perth or Singapore? And he looked at me, you know, literally down his nose and said, oh, no real architect, you know, would you know would ever retire, you know, and uh, and it took it took me about twenty four hours to uh, come back, you know, with my comeback. Uh, but you know, my comeback was well, probably you know, any real architect would never afford to retire. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's sort of true, and there are certainly you know a lot of famous architects, 
you know, they never they never put down their pencil. You know, they just they just keep on keep on going. It just becomes it becomes their life, which is probably linked to habits. But again, I think it's linked to energy, and I think it you know it drives them, and maybe it drives you know why they do live as long it's, as they do. It's interesting True. to ponder. Maybe this leads us into a, a guest that we need on the show at some point. Is to ponder the opposite question because I I completely agree with you. Thought of stopping my creative activities is alien to me. I couldn't imagine ever doing it. And, you know, if for, for whatever reason I couldn't use a camera, then maybe a paintbrush, a pencil, who knows? But uh, so the, the opposite question I'm interested in is, is why don't people create? I, I can't imagine not creating and not, not having a creative output. And I'm, I'm wondering if we could find out from those people who are quite happy to have a kind of routine that doesn't seem to create something for the world what, what's in their minds? And I, I don't know. Do you have a view? Why don't people create? Look, I think it's a great, you know, uh, topic for some speakers, um, the non-common or the uncommon creative maybe. Um, I, I, yeah, look, I think it's probably all sorts of things. I think part of it's it's fear. It comes back to that that confidence, you know, a lot of it, you know, stemming from, from childhood. Um, look, some people, you know, just really, you know, just don't have, have an interest. Um I think a lot of people misunderstand, you know, because and we're talking here about creativity in the context of artistic pursuits, but the reality is that, you know, we also know from our, you know, from our day jobs that, you know, creativity extends in all aspects of our lives and our work. And there's many people that you know, are incredibly creative and, you know, deny it. Um, I, I had one client who was very flamboyant and, he had a made a established a winery and did property developing, but he was a, a solicitor, and uh, he was sitting there with his pink coat and bright yellow tie, and looked at me straight in the eye and said, "I don't have a creative bone in my body." I said, oh, "Well, you could have you could have surprised me, you know." When I told him, you know, my definition of creativity, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, well, if the, you know, that's what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I am creative." So I think partly it's. You know, partly probably ignorance, and the other part of it is, you know, is fear. You know, people don't want to even admit it. You know, they, they, they just. So it'd be really interesting to, to you know, for us to find those people. You know, we should put a call out. And I think, know. I mean, in a lot of instances, it, it's it's bloody disruptive and annoying. I mean, creative people are forever challenging things and and looking at things in different ways. So I'm, I'm thinking, not like I've ever been in the army. You don't want a bunch of creatives in the army. You know, we're going to go and work as a team to do this. And if if the the squad of people go, ah, oh, I've thought about thinking about it in a different way. It's kind of, it's not that very handy. So I suppose often we're drilled not to be creative, to follow the rules, to follow the the conventions or whatever it is. Um, and it can be a frustration, I find personally, where people say, let's do it. This is how you do something. And straight away you go, oh, really? Why is that? Um, so maybe we're, it's drilled out of us for good reason, that, that if we're going to cooperate and you know, for things to work, it's important we just follow some rules. Look, I, I, I think that's true. And I think that's, you know, that is obviously very evident. And there's probably some things where, yes, you don't want uh, – you know, you want you, you want your accountant to be a little bit creative, but the tax department don't want them to be too creative. You know, otherwise, you know, you'll all, we'll all go to jail. Um, but uh, I, I think, in you know, in the work that I do, I do work you know around creative leadership, but I also have a companion program that's called Creative Fellowship, and it's really to get you know an understanding of both parties about 
you know, what, you know, what are the guidelines and what are the boundaries? Um, and in certain fields, and if it's in a creative field, well, then, you know, the, the boundaries of, you know, creative um, enterprise is broad. But if it is in other fields, it's narrow. But I, I think what's really required is that there, well, sorry, what's really beneficial for all parties if there's some space for it, you know, in all circumstances, but under certain, you know, certain guidelines so that everyone understands, you know, the, and the leader makes it clear and the team understand when when they can and can't be creative. And I think that's probably what's missing. Uh, but I think it would be interesting to, um, uh, actually, my brother is a, a brigadier general in the part-time army. Uh, we, we might get him in. Uh, and uh, my, my other brother used to be an Air, Air Force pilot and so he might have yeah. some interesting. Uh, they both might have some interesting that, things. That would be fascinating, particularly someone like a pilot. And I've seen. I know pilots have these checklists that they go through before they take off, and it's all done by procedure. And quite right too, because you know it's, you don't want the plane dropping out of the sky. Um, and I and they they're the kind of people that have to be able to stick to procedures, even when their their body might be instincts might be saying do something else it's to kind of no there's a process for this um that would be fascinating but actually i remember my brother did fly chinooks for many years and i think there was a a high level of creativity in the form of ingenuity that they needed to keep those things in the air that wasn't in the guidebook in the manual book so it would be interesting to get him in and have a have a chat to him uh, about. Uh, but yes, it's uh, um, actually I I, I um, about fifteen years ago I was in China uh, down in Nanning in southern China and I had a uh, an interpreter. I was with a, a trade mission and we all got interpreters. And uh, on the second day, this young Chinese interpreter asked me whether I was related to a Jack Fairweather that that was in the war in New Guinea in World War Two, and I was like, this is just you know bizarre. Anyway, it turned out there was a fellow that she interpreted for who who was retired and used to go up and teach English up there, and he served under my grandfather in World War Two. Jack Fairweather was my grandfather in fact his name was jack broke fairweather which has got a whole another story about it uh a great ancestor was named after captain broke in the uh he was captain broke was in the in the british in the american war independence and he was so uh, impressed with uh, captain broke's um <clears throat> bravery under fire that he named his son broke and it carried down uh to my grandfather so my grandfather was jack broke fairweather and it skipped our generation, but my brother called his son Jack Brokefield, and he's not that happy about it. But <laughs> uh, the point I was going to make was that um, my grandfather enlisted when he was 36, and he was an engineer, so he was in an engineering corps, and they were behind the front line up in Popendetta. Um, and he uh, and, and this kid, well, this man, in, uh, in, um, enlisted when he was 16, so there was 20-year age difference. And when this guy contacted me, my grandfather had been dead for 15 years and it was just a shock that someone, you know, would still be alive. But this guy was in his 80s then and, you know, my grandfather would have been in his hundreds. Um, and I loved my grandfather and he was a real scallywag uh, and he was quite cheeky. 
And so I was, when I came back to Australia, I contacted this guy and had a chat to him. And he was like, well, uh, yeah. And it sort of, he, he, you know, he basically said, like, I didn't like your grandfather. Um, and I didn't really think about it because this guy was, you know, some, you know, private and, and my grandfather was the commanding officer and he was very strict because he was in that, you know, that, that sort of old style thing. So he he went um, he went AWOL on um, New Year's Eve or something up there one day and my grandfather put him on report and stuff. Uh, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, but he, but he told me all these things that they used to get up to, uh, like to tease my grandfather and like one time they put a, a dead snake um, in his uh, in his bed, and when when the Batman, uh, you know, his you know, was, you know uh, turned down his bed, there was a snake, and and both my grandfather and and his and his Batman both pulled out their their pistols and shot the bed to death. Um, and, and so uh, I, I figured this this you know fellow was exhibiting. A certain amount of creativity in his own right, but my my <laughs> grandfather was not not that enamoured. So uh, yeah, so it was a uh, a bit sad in a way, but uh, it was it was interesting to you know meet somebody that you know had served under him so so long ago. And also, I mean, you're right, creative. He had a bit of a motivation to get a bit of get even with the commanding officer or things. So suddenly, you can let's come up with an idea. Necessity is the mother of invention. Maybe that's that'd be an interesting topic to kind of explore. Is kind of again, I I don't know if you and I feel that sense of necessity, but definitely when the chips are down, people get very creative, don't they? Yeah, and look, uh, I, I like <laughs> to think that I uh, and whether it's you know my my um, both my parents came from the bush, you know, different circumstances. And, you know, I come from an engineering family, uh, father, grandfather, brother, sister, and now father-in-law. I see myself as the white sheep of the family, being an architect. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I pride myself on a certain level of ingenuity and it's, you know, it's a bit like the bush mechanics. And, and I think I sort of picked it up from my, from my grandfathers, both of them, one who, you know, was an engineer and worked in local councils out back and my other grandfather who was, worked on a property, you know, and there was this, this whole thing of, you know, things that you did with bits of wood and bits of wire, uh, you know, uh, you know, mending things. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, doing that. So, and I think that that's, you know, for me, ingenuity, the definition of being, being, you know, clever, inventive and original is, is a, you know, is, is a particular part of creativity um, that I really connect to. And I think that that's, a little bit also a lot of other people when you say, you know, I'm not creative, okay, do you, you know, do you do strategy or you solve problems? Yes, well, you are creative. Wow. And for me, ingenuity, you know, is something. But, again, it's it's that that muscle. They say they don't have a bone. They got it wrong because it's a, the creative muscle, you know, or the creative yeah. gray matter. You know, I think that if you, you know, because I'm practising creativity every day and, you know, coming up with new ways of doing things to present things, they would have been presented with a problem of, oh my God, the you know the oven door won't stay closed, and and you know people are coming for lasagna in fifteen minutes, you know how do you fix it without the, you know without putting the broom across the um, uh, across you know, propped underneath the door, and came out with a different solution, so that for me is very much about um, uh, creativity. Now, any listeners won't be able to to see this, but I'm I'm 
showing Paul on the video link we've got. <laughs> this is the oven stick that <laughs> I've created for exactly that problem. And it's a high-tech piece of plastic pipe with a little V-shaped wooden stick uh, gaffer taped onto the end. So <laughs> I'm totally, You'll have totally to put a fire on board with your idea of ingenuity and just kind of improvising things, be it with wood or wire or gaffer tape. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think we've had a wonderful exploration of creative energy. Um, uh, next next week, I think we should have a guest. We've, there's a number of people we're chatting about talking to. I'm fa- the fair weather family sounds so interesting. Your your your, your relations that fly helicopters or command troops, or who uh, your mum who knits and does creative things. And there's a couple of friends of mine who I know would be keen to be involved. So um, maybe we should do that next week. We'll uh, we'll talk to a guest about creativity. Fantastic. Um, Chris, any uh, takeaways you think from today uh, in terms of I, I think your metaphor you know, of the, building, the rechargeable battery is so strong that it's 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 something you've got to keep using it, and if you let it sit around, a rechargeable battery loses its energy. It's not so useful anymore. doesn't doesn't hold its energy. So you've got to do it all the time. Um, uh, for me, that's my big takeaway. Wonderful metaphor. And I think the other thing too about the you know it's it's not just about the day to day. It's you know it's about you know, a a life work. You know, it's it's uh it's all part of the puzzle, but it all comes together. You know, in in one bigger thing. It's not, you know, one painting isn't you know the creative output. You know, or the creative journey. It's it's you know all these things that morph over time. Uh, I think that's powerful, isn't it? So you become a, a creative, a, a, someone who's it becomes your identity rather than just a, an image that you've created. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, uh, until uh, next week, Chris. Until next week. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Please don't hesitate to hit subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on our next episode. If you'd like to know more details or contact either of us, please go to our website, thecommoncreative.co.